Welcome to the Vet Church Podcast. Vet Church interviews are authentic, sacred, and inspirational. Vet Church is open to anyone who appreciates the sacrifice made by the women and men who put on a uniform and served this great nation. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com. Hey, Vet Church, how y'all doing? So I am sitting in the Capitol building. <laughs> it's not really the Capitol, but it's the uh, headquarters. The headquarters for uh, the Seventh Day Adventist North American Division. North American Division, and today I'm sitting with Paul Anderson. Now we're going to do another interview this afternoon, and it's another veteran that I didn't work with. But I knew since I was in, and I worked with his wife. But today, right now, right here, right now, I'm with a man that I actually worked with, boots on the ground, so to speak. Yep. And you were in the Navy. Yep. Navy. You're Navy. Navy. Twenty-five years. Twenty-six years. Twenty-six years Navy. And we worked at Walter Reed, and we went through the. Uh, uh, we, were, we were working as chaplains in the hospital, and we did something called clinical pastoral education together. Right. Which. Four units. But it is no joke. It's kind of like, they say it's kind of like ranger school for chaplains where they just beat you down and then build you back up. Actually, they help you. It's kind of, I always saw CPE kind of like the story of the, you know, the guy walks along and he sees the Buddhist monk chiseling this beautiful sculpture. He's like, man, you're creating something awesome. And the monk looks at him and he's like, oh no, I'm not creating anything. I'm chiseling away. The creation was already there. And I think that's Set what CPE free. does. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so we're both retired, and you now do something that is. So, I, I want to explain this for the group because some folks don't. They, you know, they, they see chaplains in the military and they think, well, a chaplain goes in just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. When I was an assistant, I did. I, I went down to the basic training place and. I raised my hand with the recruiter and blah blah blah. Then again at Fort Benning, and then I went to AIT. Mm-hmm. But when I became a chaplain, I became a chaplain candidate, and it was totally different because my first contact was somebody called an endorsing, an endorser or an endorsing agent, a handler. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're that for the Seventh-day Adventist, for all the Seventh-day Adventist chaplains. Correct. So I'm the uh, endorser. I'm the director of Adventist Chaplaincy Ministries. That's the endorsing agency for Seventh-day Adventist chaplains uh, in general. Whether it's health care, corrections, community, police, fire, uh, we are all there. And we have about 104 Adventist chaplains in the military, active in reserves. Wow. What about, what about in your hospitals? The Seventh-day uh, Adventist has tons of hospitals, yeah, right? We, we endorse right now. We have 700 and a few endorsed chaplains across North America. Most of them are working in hospitals, either in Adventist health care systems or uh, we got some in VA and um, other hospitals, um, private hospitals around the country. You know, as I would cruise along, uh, and some of y'all out there in Vet Church have said to me, who takes care of you, chaplain? Who do you talk to? Hmm. That's what the endorser is for. <laughs> That's what this guy would do for the Seventh-day Adventist chaplain. I'm the pastor for my chaplains. Yeah. And um, it's almost mind-boggling. Because if you think of it, like, as a chaplain, at it, it points, I took care of several hundred people. Mm-hmm. 
Um, even working with Walter Reed, you know, sometimes you get the you're the weekend guy and everything falls on you. Right. And so, so you're taking care of people that take care of hundreds of other people and love them and care for them and pray with them and cry with them and weep with them. Mm-hmm. And then all the chaplains are people too. Yes. As y'all know about me, I mean, I'm just another guy. And, and you can see it. Like sometimes it's a little rough, you know, and sometimes it's not polished. Mm-hmm. And, and you sitting here in this beautiful suit, but I know you, and, and I know it's not all polished. You're a regular guy. Yeah. Um, I go where my people are. And uh, I'm a married man, 37 years, two kids, four grandchildren. And um, that's the where the humanity is. It's the ups and downs of real life. Real life. Real life. Yeah, man. 37 years of marriage, um, 20 of them while on active duty in the military. So you know... Um, deployments. I, I, I did seven consecutive years as a geo bachelor. Imagine that. Now explain geo bachelor for some of because you know we have in the, in vet church and in our trial we have people that were not in the military but care about people in the military. We have I don't know how many people say to me, well, my dad or my uncle or my brother was in, but I don't I don't really understand it. Hmm. Can you explain the geo-bachelor? Because that's a term we use a lot. We- right. So a geo-bachelor is somebody who's been assigned to a duty station, and the spouse or family doesn't relocate with them. So in my case, um, we settled here in Maryland, and then the Navy sent me on board a guided missile cruiser out of Norfolk, Virginia. Well, my wife was employed here, and my kids were in high school and college, so we needed that second income. And the ship was gone 72% of the year, and I was assigned to it for two years, so it really didn't make sense for her to move. So I lived in Norfolk on board the ship, actually bought an RV, so that when the ship was in port, I could get off. And, you know, when we, when we uh, got ready to pull out again, I parked the RV in the storage lot and ride my bike back to the ship. And that's how we did. After the ship, um, the Navy sent me to postgraduate school at Boston University. Well, that's one year. So we didn't move. I drove the RV up to Boston, and I lived in that. I'd come home on the weekends. After that, they sent me overseas to Bahrain for a one-year unaccompanied tour. So by the time I got back from Bahrain, I'd been gone from home four consecutive years. And instead of sending me home to Maryland, the Navy, because it needs the Navy, I went to Jacksonville, Florida um, (laughs) for three years. So so you're basically... Seven years gone. Seven years. I would get home on the weekends most of the time, but um, you're still coming home on the weekends. You're catching up from all the time you spent away. And um, there, the benefit was my wife, I, we had a mature marriage. My kids were in their teens and 20s. So our family was solid. We survived. But um, there were ups and downs. There were bumps and crashes in the midst of all of that. And um, particularly when you are a chaplain and you're dealing pastorally with people who are in crisis Mm -hmm. or coming out of crisis or going through things. We had helicopter crashes, casualties, suicides, 
people getting married, people getting divorced, people going to jail, all of that. And the chaplain becomes the, the pulse point for people in crisis. And how do you deal with that? And then especially when you come off of a deployment where you had casualties. Um, it's a lot of loss. A lot of loss. It's personal loss. loss. And if you're away from home, and that might be good, because sometimes people process their loss, their grief, their trauma inappropriately and sometimes violently with family members. So in my case, we didn't have that because I was gone. But what did I have? Because I never, drinking was not a thing for me. Um, smoking, my background, I never acclimated to that. So what do you do? You know, you, you, for me, I could exercise, but only to a point. Um, I had to sink deep in faith to keep me from becoming aberrant in other areas. Um, you know, they say the things that get the preachers are the wine, women, and song. I don't sing and I don't drink. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> but God kept me. And, and guarded me and kept me from my own humanity. And um, my family was able to survive without a whole lot of drama, thank God. Yeah. Kept me from myself, kept me from the women who might have been willing. Well, and, and you know, it's, a, it's our tribe. I, I remember a statistic, in, I think it was 2014, the VA said that in our tribe, veterans, mm -hmm. um, and in active duty altogether. But they said in the not not in the veteran community. I'm sorry, in the active duty for E5 and below in the army in 2014, they said it was 80 percent divorce rate. I mean, wow, it, it's easy to, especially as a chaplain, you know, like we deal with emotion, mm -hmm. and um, and and you and I have both, we we've still. In, Faithful marriages mm -hmm. where we're like I, I, my friends aren't there. I've got a lot of friends that um, it was actually better for them to leave because whatever happened, right? And you know, it's a lot. I mean, you just sitting here processing for a second, you being gone that amount of time. Now I, I know that well. You you were able to afford an RV because you were. Uh, a, I don't know the rank structure in the Navy very well. Well, I got it when I was in 03. Um, that it, it got, God blessed, it was a miracle, really. We found it on the lemon lot on a base. Ah. And the couple who was selling it, were they were godly people, and they weren't trying to get what it was worth. They were just trying to get what they needed to pay it off. That's well, a that's, miracle. That's, that's a miracle. And, well, the other thing is, you got privates in the same uh, the, the lower you know people of lower rank that don't have the money to even buy something like that True. going through the exact same, same things. Stress. Yep. Mm -hmm. And and then and as a chaplain, those young youngsters come to you, and sometimes they're not young. Sometimes they're the same age. They just got in the military later life and right. things, and they look at you, and your heart breaks, or, or my heart did. Mm -hmm. And and from sitting with you and Walter Reed, I know yours did too. Oh yeah. And uh, and we take upon. I mean, when, when you sit with somebody, you don't just sit there and go like, "Oh yeah, that's got a, that's horrible." 
Well, see, you know, the chaplains don't just sit with people. We go with them. Yes. So, you know, you're more than a pastor. You're part of a unit. And every unit relies upon its people to do their function. And our function is to um, help our people find and keep their balance. And in order to do that, sometimes you got to hold, you got to. And so we, they know that we are with them and we experience what they've experienced the, the explosions, the shipwrecks, been through two of those. And um, shipwreck, yeah, like in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, uh, I was on an aircraft carrier years ago. The USS Midway. We were getting ready to pull into Singapore the next morning, and um, middle of the night, we got hit by a ship that was carrying. It was a freighter, flagged out of Panama, and um, apparently no one was on the bridge. And generally, warships don't change course. Um, and we got hit. Two people killed. Um, oh, man. Airplanes just wiped off, just dragged off the back of the ship. Mm. Others damaged such that we had to push them overboard because they were no more, they were worthless. Tails broken off and stuff. Uh, but we lost two people. And, and, and that's a huge, I mean, we're talking, when you say ship, we're talking like gymnasium after gymnasium after gymnasium, throw a few football fields football in there. Fields, yeah. and, and it's like this huge structure. Mm-hmm. How does somebody hit something like that? Nobody's steering the other ship. And, um, and then, um, so that was, you know, I had a guy, young fella, jump overboard. He just had a psychotic break and jumped overboard in the middle of the ocean. Now, when that happens on a Navy ship, the ship stops and turns around to go back to the point where the person went overboard. I mean, and it's a well-oiled man overboard drill. But because of the way this happened, half the ship was up on the deck when this kid jumped overboard. And so... And we had a guy, as we were backing up, we had a guy who actually got in the water to try to save him. And we saw this guy just, you know, maybe a couple of pulls and kicks away from being able to rescue this kid. And the kid puts his hands up and sinks. There are 360 people on a cruiser. There's one chaplain. And everybody was affected by that. And I was there. So oh, you were there too. I was there. So, so he, not only are you the chaplain, but it's you're a person, man. Yeah, he broke away from me to jump overboard. So the whole ship is traumatized. The captain, the EXO, the master chief, and and everybody. What do you mean he broke away from you? He'd had a break, um, and actually it's online. So people who are interested, look up USS Monterey. Um, if you look that up somewhere in there, you'll find a story. I'll tell the name. His name is Christian Early. Wow, this was like 12 years ago. Um, and he, we had just been talking. Uh, he was down in my office, and we were talking. 
and uh, he was kind of a, a strange bird aboard the ship. Um, but in that particular conversation, I think there was a moment when his soul was crying out for salvation. And I, I recognized that, and I opened that door for him. You know what? God's got what you need. And I will never forget him saying to me, I think you might be right, chaplain, but there's this girl back home I want to make a run at. And I know if I accept God, he's not going to allow me to do that. I said, you got to make a choice. Right about that time, uh, over the 1MC, they were calling for him. That's the interior communication system. They made a call for him, and I had a meeting. So I went to the meeting uh, with the CO and others, and um, in the meeting, phone rings. Phone never rings when you're in the, you know, the wardroom with the captain for the. Yeah, um, I mean, but it rang. The army. And he picks that. up the phone, and he says, "What? Now?" And he hands me the phone. Chaplain, they want you. <laughs> And uh, I'm like, okay, so I get the phone. It's the chief yeoman for the ship. He's like, chaps, we need you. You got to get out here to the forecastle ASAP. And so um, when I hang up the phone, I'm telling the CO, I got to go. And he said, well, what's the problem? I didn't exactly know because they didn't say. Um, And he said, well, how come I don't know about whatever this is? I don't know, but I got to go. And he says, well, get back to me as I'm going out. Over the interior communication system, I hear security alert, security alert, deranged sailor with weapons on the aft missile deck. A guided missile cruiser is 372 feet, uh, about 360 feet long, 72 feet wide. And um, so I was going to the front. Now, that's three football fields. I'm going to the front to the forecastle and they do this announcement so I go out and I know it's this guy I just knew it and I go running back three football fields um, or a football field 300 and um, running to the back of the ship and there he is this kid had two Gurkha knives you know what uh-huh. I got one in the safe mm. so he's got two now, clearly, he's intent on harming something. Um, so I'm the first one there. Weapons officer comes back, and um, he looks at him. And now, on a ship, when they call a security alert, that means that something bad's fitting to happen. There's an encroachment on the ship. So the security team, designated security team, goes and arms up. I mean, this happens like in 35, 40 seconds. Yeah. And um, and then they go and neutralize the threat. So I'm out there, and I know what's fixing to happen, and I don't want to see him get shot. He probably knew what was going to happen, too. And um, so I stayed out there with him, but in a distance far enough. Um, I figured, you know, I could probably disarm him with one, but two. Because um, for y'all don't know, like I, I do have a Gurkha, and it's a, it's not in my safe. It's in my uh, 
well, now that we, we have one little unit, I think the knife even might be with my brother. But I'd use it for when we had our lawn service. You can cut a sapling down like that, like mm-hmm. whack, mm-hmm. and it's they're great for like it's like a machete, but it'll it'll but sever a, it'll yeah. sever an arm or a leg like that, mm-hmm. and they're the the Gurkhas from the. Ne- the Mount Nepal. Nepal's, Nepal's army. Those guys are. Mm-hmm. And he's, this is, we're talking about the dangerous yeah, situation. somebody yeah. in one one swing. One, yeah. Um, so I just kept talking to him, and he and so he was a target. But for whatever reason, I think because I was there, they didn't fire. And um, he eventually, I was able to persuade him to put them down. And what I expected was going to happen was that the corpsman would have been out there to hit him with massive thorazine, and then we would. But they didn't. They were there, and I'm sure they had it. But they thought I had him under control. Um, I didn't have hands on him or anything, but I went out there and. Um, when he put them down, I did actually. We embraced, and he's crying. I said, "Okay, well, now you, you will get what you certainly wanted. You wanted off the ship. That's going to happen. But um, we need to go inside. So we start inside, and he stopped and he said, "You know what, chaps? I'm thirsty. I said, get some water inside. Let's go." And he just bolted. Now, imagine security alert. The guys are, and. And everybody who wasn't fully occupied was He's out there watching. Yeah. And he just jumped off the back of the ship. And, and, and it was wild because we're talking about, in, in, you know, it's from an Army guy's perspective, that thing's massive. I mean... 30-some feet above the water. And, and all of a sudden, the guy that was a threat a minute ago, now everybody's trying to save. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, I, I like to. Some say I'm romantic, but I think I'm a little more mystical. Maybe when he puts his hands up, he's looking to Christ. That could be. We'll never know. Yeah, he certainly was given up on life, but it could have been an into thy hands, I commend my spirit. Yeah, we'll, we'll, never. we'll never know. But um, imagine uh-huh. now. We, and we stay. You stay around to try to find him. Divers in the water, if they had found him 20, 30 feet down, they would have gone and gotten him, but we didn't find him. Night fell, and we were released from the zone. So um, night falls, and I got 359 traumatized people. And yourself, uh, yeah. Paul, you're traumatized. I'm about I mean, the 350. Well, and, and, and even even the way you said he broke for me, I was like, hang on a second. Yeah. So they, you know, maybe I should have had hands on him, but um, yeah, that's your hindsight. People. Yeah, your yeah. people, man. Like it's like we try so hard to treat each other with dignity. Mm-hmm. Especially the chaplain has to treat everybody with dignity. In fact, part of the reason we found out later um, why he had that break was because when his name was called, he was called into a situation with uh, senior leaders who had no regard for his humanity. 
Um, but anyway, yeah. Well, so. and it's interesting that now you're the you're the guy that's like. I mean, I, I took a knife from a young man. I got called out in the middle of the night. He's drinking, and uh, I got the knife out of his hands. MPs come rushing in the door, and he grabs the knife again, mm-hmm. and it was it was a big mess. Mm-hmm. But I was fortunately, I I took the knife out of his hands again, and. And then I looked at that, like, and, and, and then life went on, like, well, that was just what Chapman did. Yeah. No, and nobody, my endorsing agent at that time, nobody ever knew about it. I, in fact, I might, this might be, my wife knows about it, and the, and the people that were there, my mm-hmm. chapel assistant knew about it. Um, but nobody ever even talked about it. It was just kind of like one of those things, well, yeah, that kind of happened. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yep. move on. Mm-hmm. And so now you have this responsibility may I say opportunity and privilege of caring for this group of military chaplains hospital chaplains this, this stuff happens in hospitals mm-hmm. oh yeah I mean like when we worked the psych ward mm-hmm. I, I think he worked the psych ward at Walter Reed mm-hmm. I did too um, you see some wild stuff go down because people are people they're real they're, they're uh, we hurt we bleed on the inside without shedding blood. Mm. Our souls cry out for something that's real. Yeah. And sometimes it's humorous after the fact. Mm. I remember being up on the psych ward and I came up on a Sunday to visit the patients and there were some they were playing and uh, I guess they needed somebody else to play Sorry, the board game. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so this guy comes up, Chaps, you got time? Why don't you join us in a game of Sorry? benign little game right and and of course you don't know these people um, unless you know and at that time I hadn't because I was going to do a service I wasn't going to visit specific patients so I hadn't looked at their records you know oh, you just, you sure. just there you know uh, so we sit down to play sorry and you know part of that is you get a two and then you can get to go again. If you get a, a one and a four, then you can back up. And so we're playing a game, and I'd gotten sorry and put back in my circle a time or two. And this guy was right there. I got a one, and uh, he had two, one here and one there. And so I came out, and I put him in, and I got a four. So I slid back, and I took his other man and put it in. And he looked at me. He said to me, I'll F you up right here. <laughs> There's a Sunday morning visit for you. <laughs> and I said, it just kind of came out. I said, well, you could try, but this really isn't worth all that. Let's just keep up the game. And at that moment, this orderly came by and said, okay, man, that's enough. That's enough. And... Uh, <laughs> And the guy says to me, you know I'm in here for killing people. <laughs> there we go. That's, that's humorous now. Not the time. So the orderly said, Chaps, you better go now because he's ramping up and it's not going to be pretty. And I said, well, look, man, thanks for letting me play. I didn't realize that the game you were inviting me to play was going to be all that. But let me shake your hand and let me say a prayer with you. And he looked at me. There was death in his eyes. 
And he looked at me, and I, I looked at him. You know, and strangely, I don't think I'd ever seen that particular, you know, it's, it's one thing to see somebody angry or to get in a fight with somebody. It's another thing to see a, a war-hardened warrior with that, you, you know. And um, I don't think I'd seen that before. I've seen it since. Um, but I held his gaze. And then it changed. And he put his hand out, and I shook his hand, and I held it both with both my hands. It's two-handed shake. And I said a prayer and prayed for him specifically that God would bind that spirit of evil that would rise up so quickly in him and heal his wounded spirit. I remember that. And then I said, Amen. And he started crying. His hand's in my hand. He would have killed me 30 seconds ago. But he's crying. And, um, and I just stayed there. There's no class in seminary to tell you what to do in that kind of situation. But I, I never let go of his hand until he let go. And he said, thank you. And turned around and they walked him to his room. But he was sedate. What they were getting ready to do was take him there and sedate him. I'm sorry, I said he was sedate. He was serene. Uh, they would have sedated him. If he had known. Well, because he had this prayer you know, is real. The prayer made the difference. And it, and, and I, I want to go further. To all the way back to the beginning of this conversation. You were there, man. You sat down with him. Mm -hmm. Yep. You were there. And two other guys. It was real. Mm -hmm. We don't get to share our stories as chaplains. And, um, and you know, if you can find something on the internet, then it's not, it's not, definitely right. not in the secure realm anyway. But, but you and I have both done stuff that we can't talk about. And you almost can't talk about that story, you know, but you honored um, early, mm -hmm. early. You honored him by telling his story. And you honored him by being there with him. You know, they talk about ministry of presence, and, and I'll never forget. Like when I first heard of this guy, I said, "What do I do? Just walk down the hall, and everybody's healed because I'm here." You know? But that ain't it. Ministry of presence is being there in the board game, right? Because you never would have prayed for him if you hadn't played sorry, right? And if I'd been too busy. Or seemed to be too busy and uncaring. That might have been a transformational moment in his life that would have been missed if I was too busy. And you could have been in other places. You got a family. Mm -hmm. 37 years of giving of yourself. I mean, I, I was only chaplain for what, five, six years, Kate? Something. Yeah. And I remember feeling so broken at times. And that no, you know, I'd go talk to a, a regular pastor. And their life was so different than mine. Mm. You know. Yeah. And, and you're taking care of hundreds of us. And every denomination has chaplains. Oh yeah. And every denomination has a man or a woman just like you in this position. Let me tell you another funny story. So we've been at sea for six months. Uh, we'd had a couple of ports, but we were on the way home. 
And, uh, you know, every night on a Navy ship, the chaplain does a prayer. And, um, I mean, it's over the one MC, you know, the, the bosun, if they use the pipe, they'll blow the pipe, attention to prayer, and the chaplain comes on. Everybody stops for that 30 seconds to a minute, 90 seconds if you're long-winded, but most of the time you don't want to go that long. They stop for that prayer, and it's meaningful. It, it really is a punctuation in the rhythm of the ship. Every night I'd go up there, there was this guy who would meet me. He was, uh, well, he worked up there. And um, he was, uh, <laughs> yeah, he with you, man. <laughs> he was Wiccan. Okay. Now, I'm Seventh day Adventist. We'll polar he, opposite. So. <laughs> he would want to talk every night. He was raised Southern Baptist, and you know he went went away. And, and but he would challenge me with questions, or we would just have conversations, you know. But he's wicked. So we pull in port in the Seychelles Islands, and uh, I was going to meet a local pastor to to have lunch and then go do a radio interview. I'm walking down the street, and um, this guy calls me, "Hey, chaps! Hey, chaps!" And I look over, and it's him, right? He's, come here, man, come here. And he wasn't drunk. He was, you know, um, in the... You, you in say the, he wasn't drunk because most of the sailors are drunk when they get a chance to get off that boat. Right. <laughs> okay. And it is, they they want to redeem their lives, uh, what they missed. And But he wasn't drunk. Um, and he calls me over to introduce me to this gorgeous woman. Um, she wasn't dressed. Um, she didn't have on much clothing which led me to realize that she was an, uh, an entrepreneur and um, hooker. Um, so he introduced me as the chaplain, right? Who does that? <laughs> he said, this is my chaplain. So I'm a Seventh-day Adventist chaplain, but I'm on this ship. And on that ship, you're everybody's chaplain. chaplain. Uh, no matter yeah, what their faith group his is, chaplain. I was his chaplain, and he introduced me as his chaplain. She said, "Well, what do you? What is a chaplain?" He said, "Well, it's like a pastor, and we're his flock." And <laughs> <laughs> it's true, man. She looked and she said, um, "What? What is your faith group? Your background?" I said, "Well, I'm Seventh Day Adventist, but he's Wiccan." But I'm his chaplain. She looked at him and she said, you're Wiccan. And she looked at me and she said, you're Seventh-day Adventist. I said, I am. She said, that doesn't make any sense to me. I said, well, it does if you understand our culture. But then she said, she just a look came over her face. And she said, hmm. And then she reached in her little top and she took out the money he'd evidently given her and said, I'm sorry, I can't do this. Gave him the money back and ran off. And he said, Chaps, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? You gave her something. You I, gave her something, man. Because, like, maybe for a minute you gave her hope. I think so. And you, In fact, I know so. You gave him enough <laughs> love that he... He owned the relationship that he was in with you. Mm -hmm. Because of that relationship, I did not diminish his humanity. Um, I just showed him genuine 
spiritual love and care. And with her, strangely enough, um, I was preaching at an Adventist church the next day. And afterward, this woman greet, you know, you stand at the door and shake hands. Woman comes and she says, do you remember me? No, I'm sorry, I've never been here before. She said, oh, but we met. And I'm like, but I, I know who I met. And then it rang a bell and she said, God sent you. And that conversation we had brought me under conviction. And I will never be out there again. Paul Anderson, that's the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. Y'all don't know the story, man. It's it's great. Like Christ first miraculously turns the water into wine, and then he goes to the water. He needs some water. He's thirsty. Goes to the well, and he goes to this well, and a woman that comes down and serves him. And he says, "You don't have just one husband. You got a bunch." Five. Mm-hmm. And, and the one you have now ain't your husband. <laughs> Which might have been six. Maybe it was the fifth. Maybe it was the fifth. And, and maybe she was just making some money. Or but maybe Christ she was broken. Loved her. That's right. Mm-hmm. He went to her house. Mm-hmm. Yep. And she brought her friends to him because that thing, that experience was transformational for her, and it restored the imago day that had been rubbed off. Perhaps she had been sexually abused as a child or uh, maybe the only currency she had was her beauty. And um, who knows? But that experience with Christ at the well gave her hope, restoration, and reconciliation with her community because the story says she went back And she told people, never has such a man spoken like this, and brought them out to see her. Wow. So she's now bringing people to see this rock star, this this Messiah who could know all of the layers of her life and not condemn her, but give her restoration. And and we used the word Imago Dei just a second ago. It's Latin for the image of God. Mm -hmm. And every single person is made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Every single person. If you're breathing, you're made in the image of God. And that's, you know, like I, I never feel worthy to be here, like with you. You know, like I, my, my language is usually pretty rough. I'm playing bars. I'm, but you know the work of the Lord. What I'm made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in the truth of the matter is, somebody asked Christ, "Hey, why don't you go over there to those, you know, the people that I got it all together? They're all clean. It's chrome. It's it's stainless. It's beautiful. The big houses, the wealth." Mm. And he says, hey, "I don't know. What do they need a savior for?" Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. like, and that's and, and that's what you did. Like, I mean, you had a relationship with a guy, and you valued him as a person. In the image of God. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and he was, he didn't believe anything. In fact, he would believe that everything you believe is full of crap, you know? <laughs> and yet, through your love of him, you loved somebody that was looking for love, mm. for real love, not just for a couple of bucks. Yep. 
Now, and there's there's people in this world that are, I mean, human trafficking is enormous. Prostitution is out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, pornography is it's it's not all consensual. No, a lot of it's done through slavery. It's mm-hmm. real. These are real things that are going on. And there are people that are like, hey, I got no money and I got to feed my kids, and I will have sex for to do that. Mm-hmm. Those are rarer than we. Uh, there's plenty of food in this world right now. I was over in um, Kenya a couple of years ago, and we went up to um, Kisumi, which is right on the banks of Lake Victoria. And one evening, we were down by the piers there, because Lake Victoria is huge, and there you have a lot of fish in there. Um, Africa is verdant, a place as it is. Verdant, what's that? Uh, a lot of growth. Okay. Uh, you know, stuff grows there. You know, mango trees and just... Fruit and, yeah, and, and vegetable, yeah. But there's still poverty and hunger. And there are... All over the world, there are more female babies that survive than male babies. So there are more women in the world than men, which means that even in cultures where polygamy is practiced, there will be women without men whose fathers or brothers have died and they don't have husbands. There's a phenomenon there of fish wives. What do you mean? These are women whose husbands may have died or left them, um, and they don't have enough resources to supply themselves or their children food. So they go down to the pier and wait for the ships to come in and make themselves available for fish so that they can eat. Sad, man. And, you know, and when you, this man and myself believe that, you know, women can do whatever a man can do. We've seen it in the military. We are not the guys that are like, oh, you know, you got to have a man. That's not what Paul was saying. I know that. It just, it's not who we are. Mm -hmm. You're talking about there are cultures Mm -hmm. where women are still considered property. Right. And women are treated as less than. Mm Mm-hmm. And as objects uh, for sexual release, and um, and so our our uh, folks in the American service, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, are being exposed to this as they travel around the world. Mm-hmm. That's the cost of freedom, because in their minds something's happening, and they come back in America, and we see a culture that is barely getting treating women right barely mm-hmm. we have we have extreme cases of people that were in power that have abused that power over and over and over we've seen we've watched the news we've heard the the leaders be so absolutely and this is not a political thing not at all it's not a democrat it's not a republican there are abuses of of marginalized people that happen in every community um, from the wealthiest 
to the poorest. Mm -hmm. And that abuse probably is stimulated because of where poverty abounds, sometimes the grace of God is not as evident. Um, but the Bible says where, where sin doth abound, grace doth abound all the more. And it is our job to be carriers of that grace wherever we are. Let's talk about that a minute. Carriers of grace. How, do, how does a person in Opelika, Alabama, with a small Walmart, a Dairy Queen, and a McDonald's, there ain't a whole lot of jobs out there. Mm. How do you show grace? It's a couple of churches. Alabama, they won't even let you have medical marijuana. Mm. I mean, we're, we're talking, there's some oppression going on. There's some great people there, too. I mean, it's just the way it is right now, you know? I mean, what, what, what do you do? How do you have grace in, say, Opelika, Alabama? That's a good question. And um, it just, let me, let me just segue back when I was down to see you um, that time I was uh, the night before I, I was uh, driving up to one of the bases in Alabama but I'd landed in Florida and you know there's still sunset communities I don't know what that is that's where if you're black you're not supposed to be in that community after dark wasn't aware I was uh <laughs> into a gas station. I rented a car. It was a Mustang. And uh, so I, I just needed some gas, and I pulled in there, and it was getting near sunset. And I'm pumping gas in the car, and these young guys drive through, maybe in the 30-ish, and, and they pulled through and stopped. And then they pulled out, and then they came back. When they came back, I realized right at that you know you feel stuff <clears throat> I said this might be a problem and they just rolled back by the pump and one of the guys said you know the sun's setting here he said that to you yeah and I said I'll be finished here momentarily and I mean that was a throwback to now I'm 60 so I've I, I lived through the 50s and the 60s, so, um, but that was a, a throwback. Now, um, so in addition to the picture you painted, how do you show grace in that regard? And I think it's looking at everybody and not seeing the immediate circumstance, but seeing the soul. And when we can look at people, no matter where they are, no matter what they've done, and see that this is a soul for whom Christ has died, it takes the sting out of some of the responses that you get in life. Or it adds a certain amount of sensitivity to seeing people and you say what can I do what can I do I've never been to Opelika um, I don't think um, ah, it's just near Auburn yeah, but, but lower Alabama I've, I've certainly been down in that area and um, I think grace 
projects itself, unique to each situation that we find ourselves in. Grace in that moment at the gas station was me not taking the hose out and spraying their car with gas, you know, <clears throat> spraying them down so that, you know, what was going to be and could have been a an incendiary situation literally, literally have become so. Um, but I didn't. I soft answer turns away wrath. Maybe that's evidence of grace in volatile situations. Can, can I tell everybody what you were doing while you were coming? Sure. So, so my best friend um, had committed suicide uh, on Wednesday. This would have been Thursday, or, and you came down to see me. You rerouted your flight. Um, I think you said originally you were up there near Fort Benning or Fort Rucker, one of those. Rucker. Rucker. And uh, you went to take care of Chapel. Mm -hmm. and, and you rerouted where you were at to come see me, to stand outside. This is back when I had to, did I have the goatee and all that stuff? No, I think I, I, I just shaved the goatee. I got off the, I was getting off the pills. I wasn't completely off the effects of all that medication that the over-doctored me with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you stood outside the airport. I think you drove at least four hours, five hours to get there. And we got to talk for 10 minutes, 10 minutes to pray for me, mm. to hug me. And, and and Jeremy, his last name was Anderson, just like it was Paul mm. Anderson. And I felt like like you were there with us. And, and Jeremy had, you know, extreme circumstances of pain. He was on dialysis. He had had lupus. He was... He was going to die anyway, you know? And he was just to the point where, like, okay, I got it. I, I'm done. I'm done. You know, like, I I can't imagine how people go through this dialysis and stuff. And he had actually been in Mayo Clinic, and they said, you're getting better, so they took his name off the list. Oh, man. And then it got worse. Yeah. And you can't go back to the, where you were in the list because there's other people. And, and and hope was ripped from him a little bit. And And you came and you stood there and prayed for me. And to do that, you were in a situation where some guys, they just missed it. They missed Imago Day. They missed the image of God. Mm -hmm. And I would almost venture that when they looked in the mirror, they may not look at themselves it. and seeing the image of God either. Probably true. And because the only way to be, like the whole moral injury thing, those of us who've, who've been in war zones, who've seen death, know that it's not cool. There ain't nothing cool about it. And this isn't one of those glamour. things where we, we argue just this or just that. Mm. Just peace, just war. That's what I'm talking about. But what we do talk about is what happens in the aftermath of war and killing and hurt and pain. And the person that does it always hurts. Yeah, Always is broken. Mm-hmm. And and I, I like what you said about just grace. Grace is tough. You know, somebody once said it's, it's, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. Mm. Um, you know, like you're that you would hear another little cliched thing would be it's better than you deserve. You get something you don't deserve. You know, because I, I think about it. You know, like my my whole faith hope. 
Is it like after God's been up there and he's reading off the, you knew better. Because I do know mm. better. Yeah. I mean, I don't curse because that's an assumption of power. I, I don't blaspheme, but I'm a pretty vulgar guy. And that's just one little area. And 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 I'm hoping that when the gavel might be falling and out of the back comes Christ zipping up his pants, I, I know him. I just mm. had these baths on him. Like, <laughs> grace, grace. Because it's grace. grace. God's mm-hmm. grace. And we all need it. Because we are all flawed and broken. <clears throat> and because of, I'm sorry, um, it, original sin, but also our personal sins, we've come short of the glory of God. But he doesn't kick us to the curb or castigate us to outer darkness um, because he loves us. And, uh, and extends that love to us in that while we were yet in our sins. Not, not all cleaned up. Not all cleaned in up. In our sin. sin. Mm-hmm. Christ died for us. That's a, it's a very active, present thing because... Have you, are you sinless yet? <laughs> no. No, my wife, my wife helps me understand. <laughs> well, you are not perfect. I love her to death. But she lets me know, you know, and, and she helps to hone my character. But she can't cleanse me from sin. She prays for me, though. That's uh, good. To God be the glory for having a praying wife. I agree with that. She's prayed me through some things and prayed us through some things. And she, um, I heard her one time say, um, God, guard him from himself. You know? Um, because most of the time, our sins are self-injurious. And because um, we are looking to medicate or ameliorate some internal pain. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, too, as we talk about the brokenness, especially of our tribe as veterans, I mean, you remember again, you were just telling me a few minutes ago today you got out, you know, and then you, said you let it all grow out. Like, we all do, like, this is this process, and... And it's weird because all of a sudden you're alone where you were with, you had a uniform, you had mm-hmm. somewhere to go, you had people, but all of a sudden you're kind of alone. And unless you have the right relationships, you're even further alone. Isolated. But isolated. Yeah, and I don't mean right relationships. Like like mine and Kate's relationship is the way it looks like. Because mm-hmm. that ain't the case. I mean, hey, we, you know, 20 years and you at 37 we've probably done some stuff that like the only way we're still together is the other person's forgiven us absolutely I mean I could I know that mm. because Kate has extreme grace extended to me she's smiling behind the camera thank you and and I I tell you though it's whew, like we look at we look at our tribe we're broken Lots of divorce. Mm. Lots of people don't have another person with them in that corner. Mm-hmm. I went back home, and my brother, even who, who, my dad, twenty nine years, army, mm. he didn't understand what I went through. His whole thing was different than mine. Yeah, my brother looking at me like one of my best friends doesn't understand. Uh, my the, my two best friends, Rick and Barry. By the way, while I was off in the army, they were living life too. You know what I mean? And it was like, hang on a second. Like, I felt alone. It wasn't because they didn't love me. 
It's because they were busy. Mm. And they didn't have all day long to come by and cater Matt. Right. And they didn't know what it was like that as a chaplain, sometimes you take your hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, you hear dozens and dozens of stories day after day. People come up to you and ask for prayer. So much so that at times you have to be reminded who they are as soon as they take the uniform off because you just mean too many people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then after caring for so many, who's there to care for you? You know, I, I think about grace. You mentioned grace. <clears throat> Sorry. After uh, the Christian early moment, he jumps overboard. We had three more days to be at sea. And um, the next morning, I was feeling some kind of way. And because uh, I'd been around the ship all night trying to help folk who were grieving. And I just, I needed something. I wasn't sure what it was. I said, I, I'm going to go up to the gym. We had this little gym. And uh, you had to go through, you know, open a hatch to get into the hangar bay and then close that hatch and open another hatch to get into where the exercise equipment was. And I went in there and there were two guys in there. And um, I told them, get out. <laughs> get out. I, I needed to exert myself, but I didn't need company. And and I figured I might wind up crying. And, you know, nobody wants to really see the ch their chaplain Oh, no, I've been cry in an operational this many times. Because you're the hope guy. And if the chaplain's crying, then what hope do we have? Get out! You probably said it more harshly than that. But. I can only imagine. <laughs> Get out! And uh, so they left. And a few minutes later, I heard the hat, the first hatch open, and then I heard the second hatch open, and I just had my back turned, I was punching this bag, get out, kind of harshly, <clears throat> and I heard this voice say, make me, <laughs> turned around, and it was one of the special operators who was on board, yeah, make me, <laughs> So, and and uh, uh, some other people had come in, and um, I told him, get out. And um, so he said to them, get out. But he wasn't leaving, and and we had a kind of bond. In fact, he was he had gotten in the water. So. Um, and he comes over to me and he says, so you want me out? Put me out. He pushes me. And I'm like, you know, so what do you do here? You know, these, these. so. Um, yeah, because he could probably break your leg twig. That's not what they do. It's what these guys <laughs> what do, do, you know. Right? But I, I also knew that one of their therapies, because they're very physical, when they grieve, they exert themselves. So I figured, okay, I can see why he might have some grief too, but I really don't, so he's pushing me. So I just, I can say, I can say this. I took down a Navy SEAL <laughs> once. <laughs> and uh, so we got, and we were fighting, and um, I was, you know, 
he was probably allowing me to vent, but he was he pinned me, he let me get up, and then we go at it again. And um, at somehow, some point, I hit him, and it broke his lip. And he just and I I didn't even know it, but he hit me similarly, and so we're both bleeding. And I guess the folk that we told to get out, the word got around the ship that the chaplain and this guy were fighting. <laughs> so the door opens, and right about this time, the guy has me, I'm down, you know, and he's got me <laughs> pinned up. And the CO and the Master Chief and the XO and the Chief Medic aboard come bursting in the room. <laughs> they go rescue, <laughs> rescue the chapel man. <clears throat> uh, so <clears throat> the CO is like, you know, WTF uh, and. You know, you're bleed. You hit the t- <laughs> and, um, and he said, "Well, he hit me." <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that was an, an interesting moment of self care. And um, it, it was it was an interesting moment. <clears throat> and. Um, so the CO is like, I think he, he kind of perceived what was going on. And he said, I don't have blue-on-blue fights on my ship. And he said to the corpsman, he said, give him some gauze. Chaplain, I'll see you in my stateroom. And then he looks at the other guy and he said to him, don't you ever hit my chaplain again. And as I'm going out, I see him fist bump to do. So it it's interesting that in a grief situation like that, grace was a fight or a control fight with someone who knew how to control it. But he needed to, I guess what I neglected to tell was once he had pinned me, um, then my grief came out. And um, you emoted, you cried. I started crying, and he did too. Now, this is a warrior. Um, and, uh, and that's about the time they came. So we're, we're these are our men. You know, and he had me pinned, so obviously it wasn't sexual or anything. But there's body contact, and both of us are crying. You don't get more intimate than that, and um, and that's when they walked in. So they're seeing tears and you know broken lips, and you know whoever sees that, and that's probably something that those four men. Um, probably had never seen before may never I had never experienced that before I have three brothers and we would fight but we never 
You know, it was never, we never fought grief out. Um, but I'm rambling, so I should probably stop. But that was, that was. I don't uh, know if he's rambling. You know, remember we were asked to read that book by Ed Tick, War of the Soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, War of the Soul. It's, it it talks about stuff like this. To meet him, uh, you got to meet this guy. <laughs> yeah, a couple of years ago, I was out at uh, at a meeting, and I got, and he was there making a presentation. It it's taken me. It took me to read that book probably three and a half months. You know, we were supposed to read it and then come back, and I was like, yeah, I gotta do it. I, you know, I just I tell the supervisor, I can't get it. I can't get. It. I would cry. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the things we're doing here in Vet Church, we're traveling around the country, and we're doing these interviews. And in my mind, there's only two places you can go where there's genuine community. There's these little bars around the country mm-hmm. where people go and they know each other. Mm-hmm. Not the big party scene. Yeah. These little bars where people sit and they talk and they... They cry together. Those are venues, laugh. venues for logotherapy. That's it, logotherapy. And the only other place that I know where you can really get it is in a small church community. Not not in a big church, mm-hmm. not in the, the monstrous thing, but in the small venue of a church where people sit with one another and you can get a hug. Mm-hmm. A man can hug another man. A woman can hug another woman. A, a man can hug another woman, a woman can hug a man, and not have this connotation that it's all about sex. Mm-hmm. And you can cry. Yeah, small churches are extensions of family. Mega churches have programming that might be inspiring, but um, unless they are intentional about building small communities within the mega church, mm-hmm. It's programmatic, and it does not scratch yeah. that uh, itch that people really need that are found in small churches. Well, and you, you never get that moment where you're on the floor in death grip, crying for your soul, because mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, I, I remember playing in a bar in Baltimore, and uh, it got real quiet. And I don't remember the song I was playing, but something sad probably because I wrote it right. So, I mean, originally when I first started doing this, it was all about me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about you or him or her or anybody, any of y'all out there. I was thinking about me. And and I still do when I play the songs. I mean, it still comes out. I'm still healing. Right. Mm-hmm. And what struck me was I was in this bar and all of a sudden it got quiet. It doesn't get quiet in a bar. Bars are not quiet places. Mm -hmm. And people are watching me emote, cry, cry out. And and I think sometimes like the only way this nation is ever going to change to be where it's decent and and it is pretty stinking decent right now. You can go to any toilet and drink water out of it, buddy. Mm -hmm. You can't do that around the world. We are blessed. I mean, as long as the tank's clean, you know, you could dip it in there and have a cup of coffee and not wind up in the emergency room the mm-hmm. next day. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you think about the blessings of America. Right. We are a great nation. It is. This is a wonderful place to live. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I love the fact that, like, what you're doing as a chaplain's chaplain is you may not, like, rustle them to the mat. 
but you're on the mat with them. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're caring for people. Do you remember when you took me to Bethesda? I do. <laughs> I do. You told me the story of the Nimitz. Nimitz? Was it the, the Nimitz? And uh, <coughs> I got a little coin. Yeah. It's still in my thing to this day because we went to the gift shop and I bought this coin. Because you told me this story. Can you? Do you remember the story enough to... Uh, refresh me. Tell me what part I told you. Uh, something about whoever the guy with the ad, Chester ad, Nimitz, the admiral, admiral man, that and, the ship was named after. Who and something he like he was. It was some story of hope. That's all I remember. Um, it was like he did something that was so good. Like he, it was selfless service. He cared for the people that were in his. Right. world so much that like I walked over and I bought this coin because you told me this I can't remember a story I can't remember it offhand um, I'll, I'll, I'm sure I can find it or if we talk a little more it'll come back to me but he was I mean he was a war hero um, and broken by you know we didn't know about post-traumatic stress or stress disorders back then we back in his era and you know Nobody knew for sure or knew about the burdens that warriors carry. They just, the ones who made it came home and they they made it. Um, but in, you know, people talk about Chester Nimitz and how um, he was, I mean, he was a naval officer. So... There's a certain aristocracy about that, and well, that's the first time you took you took, sorry, you took me to the. Uh, by the way, Paul's wearing a great pair of cowboy boots. Oh, thank you. <laughs> They're awesome, thank man. You, thank you. You took me downstairs, and I had never eaten in a galley. In a galley, and you know we'd have we have the mess halls mm-hmm. and um, the defects dining facilities, and you go to an army dining facility, man. It's just officer, private officer, you know whatever. You take me to, to lunch, and you're like, now the officers eat over here, and the enlisted eat over here. We can go either place because we're chaplains. Yeah. That blew my mind. You talk about like, mm. like it, it, it's it's like there's a different order, yeah, of of world than a ship. Yeah. Curiously, now that it's Walter Reed, they don't do it like that anymore. <laughs> oh, really? Well, they, they, didn't like Walter Reed and Bethesda merge together? Yeah, yeah. And so part of that uh, change in corporate culture was to um, neutralize the galley. So, and I was over there a couple of weeks ago, mostly now, um, you, you just... Well, everybody's in hospital garb and stuff like that, so you don't know really who's who, and uh, and that's probably intentional for the corporate culture. Well, and and the other thing is, these hospitals are places of healing. Oh yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's not. It, it used to be maybe at one point in the history of medicine, you went to a hospital to be born or to die. Yeah. Actually, right. you'd have a, a you'd be born at home. Right. But now you go to a hospital, you're sick, you get care, and, and pastoral care is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. That's and that's how we met, you know, working right. on Walter Reed. And, and by the way, since you're, if you got time, you got to drive down Georgia Avenue. It's not there anymore. Are you serious? Yeah, they, uh, a month or so ago, maybe two months, uh, the old Walter Reed Hospital is gone. Like, 
to the ground. That built that building was. I don't have time this trip to go because I'm, you know, but gone. God, Walter Reed was so big, you could march a platoon around the thing. On I went all the way around it. We had PT out there, right, right around the building. Yep, it's gone. That's a change of eras. Um, it's gone. That's where we met. Yep. Hey, so um, it's been a long interview, a good interview. Yeah, I hope we didn't bore the people. Are folks still there? Some of them. Like, we've had quite a, quite a few. So, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you're doing all this. You struggled. You opened up and just told a story that man what a story um, very personal very authentic very vulnerable Christians sometimes when you were not vulnerable you know we want to look good mm-hmm. Christ looks good let's be honest we all look like people yeah it, and you, you've been watching what I'm doing you've prayed for me you, you prayed for me that God would help me mm-hmm. do something with my life again get off the couch I did yep and um I was just wondering if there's anything you'd like to say. I mean, because there's people watching this or will watch this thing. You know, we're averaging three, four hundred views on a thing. And then the podcast is starting to slowly grow. Several hundred downloads now. And so we're we're capturing real history. Mm -hmm. We've talked about you as a warrior. We talked about you caring for current warriors because that's what you're doing. The civilian side, caring for the current warriors. What would you say to the other people who are just getting out and looking around thinking, you know, what do I do with my life? There um as you as you transition through life, whatever the transition is, I think there are three ways to find God's purpose for your life um, as you come through whatever transition you're in and we all have them Um, and that is God's purpose is often revealed to us through pain um, because pain takes your focus away from everything else to that point of pain and then release uh, seeking release from whatever the pain is when our pain is emotional you can't drink enough smoke enough inject enough to ease that emotional pain it requires in my experience the invocation of the presence of God in your life. If you know God and you've had experience with him, you can invite him in. If you don't know him and you feel a vacuum, just speak speak into the environment. I need God's grace. I need God's presence. And with God's presence usually comes a purpose or a task. If you read in the Bible, when God would speak to a prophet, it would say, the word of the Lord came to me saying, and whatever God says in your life 
is your purpose for that time because um, he takes us places and on the journey the topography of life will change and um, you'll go into places where the purpose may change the first thing is pain the second thing is um, is um, passion the things that we are passionate about that are noble that we have noble passion about is where we can find God's direction for our life um, we all have passion and to be all honest most of our passion isn't noble in many cases but when we can pursue noble passion that's where God's purpose may be enveloped and unfold for you um, and um, so there's pain there's passion um, noble passion no, yes noble passion and um, then the third one is um, it slips my mind but let me just go with the idea that it is um, the thing that draws your attention so the things that you pursue what we look at changes us um, what we're driven to um, that again has nobility um, are evidences of how God is attracting us and the thing that attracts us speaks to something within our souls so if God is pointing you toward a shining destiny of some sort um, and you feel like well why couldn't I be a doctor why couldn't I be a lawyer um, strangely here's something I want to do I don't know why I have this sense of purpose in this regard but um, when the trash men come through our neighborhood I, I hear the truck if I'm home and I always go to the window and I look out and I see the guys they see me in the window they wave sometimes I take the, t the, the can out when they're coming one day I asked them can I do it <laughs> and they let me dump my trash in the truck and uh, and the guy said go ahead here hit this lever and and it you know <laughs> took the tr I was excited yeah and, and now and honestly now not that I don't like the job I do but I want to do a shift as a garbage man why I don't know but that might be so that I can relate I've shown them a certain amount of empathy and admiration, the guys that come through my neighborhood, but maybe there's something, some piece of providential destiny that would be impactful if I did a ride-along with the garbage men in my neighborhood. See, and, and that's that whole thing. I mean, you talk about a package. Like, in, in one way, it seems like it's a little boy coming out. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like it's like it was little Paul. He wants to be a garbage man, <laughs> and, and and sure enough, maybe you need to go do that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm going to look into it. There are other things, you know. So it's pain, it's our passion, and sometimes the uh, things that we're drawn to pursue uh, that can be um, direction for us as we're becoming something else. So as your shift from being the warrior, soldier, 
um, occurs, your life isn't over when you take the uniform off. What is it that is in either latent or active in your mind about what you'd like to do, try, experience, or achieve? And um, what noble passion do you have? Or what pain needs to be ameliorated in your life? And how can you do that with the presence and grace of God? Was that too... No, I liked it because it was, it was real. You know, like, sometimes we think, not you and me per se, but sometimes when I've watched, because I, I'll read, I'll, I'll watch self-help stuff, and sometimes it's like people are like, well, they, they won't use big words, they won't go into detail, they won't go into depth. And I've heard things, well, you got to dumb it down. Mm. You've heard that expression. Yeah. you got to dumb it down. Horse crap. Mm. I mean, these are the hands of a brick mason. I grew up with the poor folks. Mm. Way from way back. I mean, like the whole lineage. We were, Parents were servants. I mean, grandparents were. Um, me. I'm doing exactly what I want to do. And I went to the library and I picked up a book and read it. And it, and it started moving me in a direction. What are you reading right now? Um, I, I picked up a book last week called Love as If You've Never Been Hurt. And powerful book. Powerful book. Love as if you've, you've never, never been hurt. Because you've been hurt. Everybody's got some hurt. I've been hurt. You've been hurt. Kate's been hurt. Uh, yeah. Love as if you've never been hurt. Um, I can't even remember the author's name, but um, um, it, it's a good book. I started reading it on the plane, and um, I got back home, and life is. So it's on the nightstand beside the bed. But I will finish that book, and, and it's a good book. Cool. Highly recommend it. Well, I, I think that, you know, that's an important thing. And I, and I ask you that because you know so many people. You've met so many inspirational folks, and uh, just knowing you is, is blowing me away because of the people that you've been around, and you've never been haughty about it. I ask you to do this, and you're like, sure, what's well, why can we do it? Yeah. I mean, it, it was, and I ask you to do it not be, be simply because from the day I met you, you, were, you outranked me. You had a little more of a handle on some educational pieces that I wanted, not because I wanted to be with the titles that I have now, which mm -hmm. mean to me nothing. Uh -huh. um, nobody in these circles care what I did. What they do is they care how I love them. Right, and that's and what's the most important. Thing and that's what you kept pushing me towards. Like when I was pursuing those degrees, you kept saying like, "Well, you're reading this, you're reading that," you know. Like, and I loved it that you did this with us today. I loved it that you were vulnerable with that church. And uh, I can't wait till the podcast comes out. I'll cut that little piece out so that uh, you know, mm -hmm. and it won't go outside of the group. Um, I love you, man. Thank you for doing this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time to come. Yeah, man. Hey, Vet Church. Thank you all for tuning in with us. Um, remember to, uh, well, hang on a second. First, Kate, is there anything we missed? Any, anything we should ask or talk? I don't think so. Okay. So, um, Vet Church, remember. Well, you could say again what's happening this coming weekend in case there are people in the area. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wait. Well, yeah. So, if you're in the um, 
Maryland, uh, Northern Virginia, um, Delaware area even. Uh, here at the North American Division of Seventh-day Adventist Headquarters in Columbia, Maryland, 9705 Patuxent Woods Drive, Columbia, Maryland, on November 10 at 4 o'clock. We're doing a first ever in this building salute to veterans to honor the veterans who have served from whatever era. And um, if you are and want to come, we'd be more than happy to have you. If you can still wear your uniform, please wear it. We're going to have a parade of veterans. And, you know, that November 10 is the Marine Corps birthday. But uh, as we do when we do those parades, since the Army's the oldest, then we're going to ask the Army folk to come in, then the Marines, then the Navy, then the Air Force. And uh, we're going to welcome you home. We'll have some tokens of appreciation, one of which is the uh, uh, CD that Matt has produced for Vet Church. And um, that'll be available for you. And then afterwards, we're going to have a cake and punch reception in the atrium of the building. Uh, we'll do the toast to the services accordingly. And we're also going to have a POW table and explain to everyone what that symbol is there for. So if you can make it, you're invited. Four o'clock, 1600, November 10 at 9705 Patuxent Woods Drive, Columbia, Maryland. And I'll go ahead and put up, I took a picture of that flyer. I'll post that in the comments of this um, after we get off live and that we all have a chance to well, I can't remember. Patuxent, how do you even spell that? You know, but it, it's, it's on the thing. And um, just remember, Vet Church, as always, use your minds, think about things, question, question what we're, we're doing here, question it. You know, if God is real, God can handle that. Um, otherwise, we're crazy. Yay. And uh, have some fun and love one another. No place you've been, nothing you've done that God can't redeem through Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us for this Vet Church interview. Your feedback is welcome. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com.